Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the fourth installment in our Ghostbusters movie review series. Today we are reviewing Ghostbusters Afterlife. This is your co-host, Corbin. I'm Alan. And we are back together again. Yeah. We are actually like physically in person together. It's uh, It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. When was the last time we were together for chorus stuff? Was it January? I know it was sometime this year. I, I honestly don't remember. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah. But I just know that it's been a while, and we are back reviewing Ghostbusters again. But more importantly, it's been a while since we've reviewed a Ghostbusters film in general. That's true. The last one we did would have been when well, Ghostbusters 2016 came out. Mm-hmm. And that was, of course, 2016. So that was... Was that five years ago? No. So our review of Ghostbusters 2016 came out Monday, November 27th, 2017, which is kind of ironic because this is going to be coming out, what? Almost four years to the day, or at least close to it. Yeah, to the day, which is really kind of ironic. So yeah, it's been about four years um, when we did our Ghostbuster series and we've been waiting for this one, mm-hmm. we did have to wait a year go ahead and listen to your guide to Ghostbusters Afterlife that came out last week. Um, that'll tell you all you need to know about that film. But if you're curious to listen to the rest of our reviews in the series, then that's linked below. Also down there, we have timestamps, links to our letterbox profiles, all of our social media pages, our Patreon pages, tons of great stuff in the description below. You do not want to miss out all the good stuff going on down there. Well, Alan, I gotta ask, Ghostbusters Afterlife, were you at all interested in a fourth Ghostbusters film? Honestly, after what happened with uh, Ghostbusters 2016, no. <laughs> I honestly was not really looking forward to watching this Ghostbusters. And honestly, I'm pretty sure that there are a lot of people who share the same sentiment because 2016 Ghostbusters was highly controversial when the trailer dropped. Not when the movie came out, but when the trailer came out. Um, now, obviously, there are somewhat different opinions when it did eventually release, but uh, I'm going to say I remember being not too thrilled with that 2016 Ghostbusters. So I wasn't super excited. I wasn't really hankering to watch, you know, this new Ghostbusters. So, yeah, when I saw that it was coming out and of course we were going to review it, I was like, all right, well, let's see how it what it's like. So I pretty, pretty much went in completely blind because I didn't know if it was related to 2016 Ghostbusters or what the story was. Uh, and we'll get into that in a second, but uh, I got to say I was not going into it with the highest of spirits. Yeah, I mean, I'm there with you after we capped off the Ghostbusters reviews across the board. We weren't crazy about those movies. Definitely go back and listen to our thoughts on those. I just, you know, I was like, oh, they're doing a new Ghostbusters. OK, interesting. We'll see where they go with that. Yeah. Um. So I wasn't terribly thrilled or just hankering to see this movie, I guess you could say. So as far as the trailer goes, you know, I thought it was mildly interesting. You know, I wasn't really chomping at the bit or anything, but nevertheless, it looked like they were taking it in 
a different direction while still trying to kind of pay some homage to the original films. So I saw it opening weekend. Yeah, yeah, I pretty much I saw it not opening weekend, but like the week after um, I saw it a few days ago from this recording uh, for the trailers. Uh, I didn't really know what to think. I think my main question was just is it going to relate to 2016 Ghostbusters or is it, you know, how is it? How is this relating to the timeline of all these movies? Um, I got to say, even the trailers themselves, putting that question aside, didn't really look super interesting to me either. Um, I feel like we've been down this road a number of times. And <laughs> so I wasn't exactly excited, super excited even still, you know, to get back into Ghostbusters again. So, yeah, the trailers didn't really intrigue me too much when it was all said and done. So for my theater experience, I did see it in IMAX. Okay. I saw it with my in-laws, uh, with the with my in-law family. Um, it was a pretty full theater. We went on a, what was it? It was a Friday or Saturday night. So it really was like opening night. Um, my theater, there was a lot of families there, some younger kids kind of it's one of those things we've talked about this many times before, cross generational, mm -hmm. the parents grew up with the movie. Now they get to share it with their kids. Right. I mean, my theater was really into this movie. What about yours? It was kind of funny. I went and saw this on a Monday afternoon. Okay. Um, so like it was me and three other people <laughs> and they were there before I got there. And I showed up oh. pretty early. Oh, I was there before they even were rolling like the pre uh, the pre trailer like ads and stuff like that. Yeah, you're really early. So I was like, yeah, I think I was like 25, almost 30 minutes early to that showing and they were already there. So when the movie did start, it was only us four <laughs> and the three three people who sat in front of me by a couple of rows. Um, they were all like, it looks like they were all like, you know, pretty old, like probably in their like mid 50s or 60s. So it looked to me like they were there to see Ghostbusters, the new Ghostbusters from, you know, when they had seen the original in theater. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it was really quiet. There was just us four in that big theater. So it was actually kind of nice. Pretty much, it was almost a private showing, almost. Interesting, yeah. I my audience was was just rolling with laughter throughout yeah. the whole film. So hmm. sounds like we had a bit of a different experience. Yeah, yeah, we definitely did. Well, listeners, if you haven't seen Ghostbusters Afterlife and you don't want the film spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause right now. It is only in theaters as of this recording, so go ahead, go to your local theater, watch the film, and then come back and click play here, and we'll be ready to talk about it. Callie, played by Carrie Coon, is a down-on-her-luck mom who gets evicted from her apartment. She takes children Trevor, played by Finn Wolfhard, and Phoebe, played by McKenna Grace, to her estranged father's farm in Oklahoma after his passing. They inherited. Phoebe goes to summer school where she meets Mr. Gruberson, played by Paul Rudd, who is overqualified for his job, and a fellow classmate named Podcast, played by Logan Kim. The trio end up finding a ghost trap in her grandpa's house, which they accidentally unleash. Trevor, meanwhile, gets close with the sheriff's daughter, Lucky, played by Celeste O'Connor. Through some sleuthing around the farm, Phoebe realizes she is the granddaughter of Eon Spangler, one of the original Ghostbusters. Spangler left their mom years ago to prevent Gozer from returning. Ivo Shandor, which we're going to talk about him, <laughs> played by J.K. Simmons, all people, yeah. this tiny little cameo, built a temple to her in the mountain by their town in Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Anybody who is uh, from the Midwest, that's a hard sell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Phoebe tries contacting Ray Stans, reprised by Dan Aykroyd, 
after she gets arrested for destroying the town by trying to catch a ghost. But he wants nothing to do with Spangler's descendants. After their mom gets them out of jail, their mom is promptly taken over by Zool, and Mr. Grubertson is taken over as well. They unleash the portal, allowing Gozer, this time played by Olivia Wilde. Also an interesting choice. Also an interesting choice, and she is uncredited, Yep, actually, to walk the earth once again. The gang saves their mom and Mr. Gruberson, but they are no match for Gozer. Thankfully, the original Ghostbusters, played by the original cast, return to save the day. They vanquish Gozer with the surprising help of the ghost of Eon Spangler. That's why it's called a Ghostbusters Afterlife. He meets his children, helps his old pals, and reunites with his daughter once one last time before he disappears. In an after credit scene, Winston Zedmore, played by Ernie Hudson, buys the old firehouse, which they said was a Starbucks in the movie, but it looked pretty abandoned to me. Yep. He gets the old Ecto-1 car back in the firehouse, and he seemingly re- reactivating the old Ghostbusters as they've trapped a new ghost as credits roll. Did you see also the uh, the symbol at the end had changed, and it was the Stay Puff Marshmallow yeah. instead of the ghosts in the circle? I did see that. That was okay. kind of a funny little random thing. Yeah, I wonder if they're maybe setting up for some kind of sequel happen at some point i um, think so yeah the the first there's actually two credit scenes listeners yes sir. the first one is unmistakable it happens pretty quickly it was really funny especially yep. if you have seen the first movie and you have at least the opening of it in your mind where sigourney weaver was back reprising her role in a mm-hmm. little cameo and this time it's bill murray getting shocked with the shapes. Uh, I thought that was clever. Yeah. I looked up like who all was in this movie. Cause I'm like, why was Jake? Was that really J.K. Simmons in that yeah. role? And I was like, there's no <laughs> way. And then I saw Sigourney Weaver was there. I was like, wait, did I miss her? And all of a sudden the mid credit scene came on. And I was like, oh, there she is. <laughs> so that's one of those things is I, I guess I didn't realize until after the fact, how many like random stars they have um, playing just kind of smaller roles. Mm-hmm. So of course, Olivia Wilde, like we already mentioned and J.K. Simmons, Josh Gad apparently is playing the voice of Muncher, which is like, I guess, the new Slimer, which you would never, have, at least for me, I would have never have known had I not looked it up. Uh, just the, like, the, you know, these pretty big stars playing these, you know, roles that, yeah. you know, you wouldn't really, if you blinked, you wouldn't, you would miss it. That's true. Does, um, does that Muncher character even have any lines? I know it makes noises. I don't think so. That is so weird. They yeah. got Josh Gad. I mean, I don't know. what's the point? I don't know. I mean, I guess Star Wars, The Force Awakens is something similar where they oh, had yeah. like, you know, random stars playing random characters. That is true. You would have known it. That is actually very true. Yeah. The J.K. Simmons one really threw me off, which yeah. leads me to believe I'm. Th- they did not bring J.K. Simmons in here to put makeup on just to have two lines and then get killed and mm-hmm. lay in a coffin. I'm thinking we might be getting an extended cut on home video, probably exploring his backstory a little more because it's just out of the blue. This guy named Ivan Shandor built a temple for this, you know, foreign Sumerian God or whatever in a mountain in Oklahoma. Yeah. What an imagination. (laughs) Yeah. I'm honestly, I'm guessing this is definitely setting up for a sequel given, you know, the very end frame that we get is you know with this paper of marshmallow man mm-hmm. uh and of course jk simmons and you know in this role and yeah. it's like that i'm guessing we're probably gonna they're trying to set up for a sequel that's my guess they're putting pieces in place uh to set up for a sequel that's what i'm thinking why he's here and why he has a very small role is 
maybe he'll show up more in the sequel. You know, I feel the same way about Paul Rudd in this movie. He isn't given a lot to do, but you know, I mean, that's just the way things go. Not many things come out and it's just one and done. Everybody is looking to reinvigorate a new franchise. And this is definitely it. I mean, we've got new characters. I think this was kind of a send off for the old characters. Yep. Uh, maybe Ernie Hudson's character is going to come back because it looks like he bought the firehouse back. He's rich enough. He's going to reactivate the Ghostbusters. Uh, we'll talk about whether what what the plans for a sequel are at the very end of this podcast. Mm-hmm. But you know, right off the bat, honestly, Alan, this is probably the most. 80s feeling maybe a little early 2000s movie i have seen come out in a long time okay what do you mean by that i'm curious what i mean by that is this is a there's quite a bit of nostalgia Mm -hmm. i think they are hearkening back to the original films pretty well which right off the bat gives me this feeling that they're not necessarily trying to do something different they are really trying to make this a true sequel to the original two films mostly the first film 80s films are for the most part some of the the most lighthearted movies er ever yeah they don't care about plot continuity they don't necessarily care about you know characters and structure it really is just kind of zany having fun i personally love 80s movies and that's really what i got off of this one is the way that it's structured, the way that they're finding stuff. I mean, I felt like um, even with some of the score here, this yeah. had a very 80s, like Spielbergian score vibe to me. That's true. Yeah. Speaking of the score, you know, what did you think about it? Because it definitely stood out to me in a good way. I agree. I liked it quite a bit. It really did seem like they went back in time, personally, to the 80s to compose a score. This movie does... And and it makes sense. I mean, Jason Reitman grew up in the 80s. His father, Ivan Reitman, directed a lot of famous 80s comedies. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it makes sense his son would do the same. Ivan Reitman is here working on the film with him. So it makes a lot of sense to me why this movie feels the way it does. So I'm curious about who did this score. The name's not ringing a bell. Yeah, I looked him up earlier. Rob Simonson. I was looking to see if there was anything from him that I had seen before that I would have recognized. And honestly, outside of, I think I've, yeah, I've seen Tolly. Um, I've seen Gifted, but like neither of those score wise really stand out to me at all. So mm-hmm. I was curious to see, you know, if there was anything else that I recognize him from or if I knew his work. But honestly, looking through his filmography, there's not much here that, you know, stands out to me outside of those two. Um, but I gotta say, I was kind of surprised. I haven't gone back and like listened to it on its own yet. Um, but from what I remember, from what I saw and listened to in the film, it, I was surprised by, you know, you know, how good it was. Yeah. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's anything amazing, but I'm curious to know what it sounds like outside of it. Cause I was thoroughly impressed by the score, which I was not expecting at all. No, no, I agree with you as well. I'm on the same page. Um, Some of the other things I liked about this movie was I kind of already talked about this, but I think this is a pretty lighthearted film. Mm-hmm. Um, It's not crass. It's not rude. It really is just funny. It really is. I think even pulling some of those 80s jokes and not necessarily the crass 80s jokes, which are a plenty <laughs> yes. in those movies. But I mean, my theater was laughing quite a bit. I even laughed sometimes as well. I mean, did you find this movie funny? I, I did. I was actually, that was another thing I was surprised by is, you know, how, how many times I was actually laughing. Cause I honestly 
again, considering what we had last time, we had a Ghostbusters movie, uh, you know, there's, you know, grounds for a lot to go wrong. Um, and I was surprised by how much I would end up laughing at this movie. There's a few, uh, there's one thing that I wrote down. Let's see if I can find it in my notes here. Ah, here it is. Uh, it's when they let loose the ghost when they're with Mr. Gruberson and they let loose the ghost. And uh, he says, he turns to the two kids and he says, we should probably get out of here. And uh, <laughs> Phoebe says, you're an adult. And he says, yeah, and liable. Yeah. I, th I think that this time around, what they've done is they've kind of gone, gone back to what was the human from before mm -hmm. in that original film where it's you know pretty dry it's pretty sarcastic and i think that's what makes it work that's what made it so funny and especially when at the very end when the you know the original ghostbusters are on set and they actually you know are helping out mm -hmm. and they start cracking jokes that's when i was laughing the most yeah was because you know they brought back that old humor again so i think that uh the humor in this is good and definitely feels more like that original film than 2016 Ghostbusters. Yeah, and the 2016 Ghostbusters was almost all, at least comprised of the the characters of the Ghostbusters was SNL, current SNL stars. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's going to be very, very different humor. Um, this really is more of the humor from the 80s, I would say. Right. Did you know the original Ghostbusters were going to be in here? I knew Dan Aykroyd was mm -hmm. because he was in the trailer. Right. But I had also known that Harold Ramis had passed away. Right. So I was curious how they were going to deal with that. Um, I had no idea if Ernie Hudson and Bill Murray were going to come back. It was honestly a shock because I know Bill Murray. Um, I remember reading it's been many years ago at mm -hmm. this point when they're trying to get, you know, a new Ghostbusters off the ground. Bill Murray said he was interested. And then he said, actually, I'm not on board. I'm not coming back. Yeah. Ackroyd said, we're not doing another one without Murray. So it was cool to see them all. I was glad to yeah. see them all. Yeah. I honestly, I saw that Dan Ackroyd show up about halfway in. Um, and I was like, okay, well, if Ackroyd is there. There better be the other two. I was, <laughs> we're going to have some bad fans <laughs> on our hands. Especially Bill Murray. <laughs> Uh, so I kind of had a feeling that they would show up at some point and they become like a deus ex machina at the very end of the story mm -hmm. where they just kind of show up. Um, so I, I mean, I'm honestly, I kind of expected them to be there mostly because there's no way that they would have Dan Aykroyd and not the others that also are still living. So yeah, I was not surprised when they did show up, um, because I figured they probably would be there. I did think it was smart to really not feature them until the very end. Yeah. Having them kind of be these helpers at the end. If they really are going to pass this on to a new generation, then you really have to make those new characters the focus mm -hmm. and give them their own identities for the most part. Of course, we come to find out that these kids are the descendants of Eon Spangler. This is like crazy common in sci-fi sequels nowadays i yep. mean of course i think the most recent example comes to mind is the star wars sequel trilogy yep where it's you know the next generation i just reviewed tron legacy that's all it's even in the title yep it is like one of the favorite things to do is generational prepare apparently in science fiction movies generational movies i think they handle this one pretty well i'm actually pretty impressed with like the mom's acting mm -hmm. She is seems like a pretty bitter person that's trying to be a good mom. Um, but there is kind of this bitter past to it. Um, so after a while, I, I kind of felt like it was pretty obvious who this kid was going to be related to with her hair and glasses. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm with you. It was not it was not 
uh, you know, hidden very well, or they uh, weren't really trying to hide it either. They were just like, you know, it's pretty, like I said, pretty evident, you know, where they're going to be coming from, what the legacy is. Yeah. I thought so too. What did you think about the return of Gozer? And those creepy dog monsters. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I didn't mind it so much, um, given that it's definitely supposed to be like a film that's setting up for like the next generation like we've been talking about. Um, I think it makes sense that they would also have to fight Gozer just like the original Ghostbusters did. Um, so it, speaking of Gozer, it, it looks like they used a lot of, it looks like to me, they use a lot of the original props or at least the, the same style oh, yeah. of animations like with the with the two dogs, the gatekeeper and the key master, mm -hmm. they looked like at times they were definitely uh, using practical effects. I thought like that they too. had in the original film um, with some CGI, but uh, I, outside of that, um, when it comes to Gozer, I didn't mind it. I, I thought that, you know, I guess it just kind of makes sense that they would go down the Gozer route because it's also the same villain that they fought in that original film and having that passed on to the next generation of Ghostbusters I think it just makes sense to me. It does, especially because we're going to come to find out that Spangler leaves his family because he learned that Gozer was going to return mm -hmm. here in this Oklahoma mountain, and he had to make it his his life's mission to pre prevent that from happening. So, especially because they defeated her in the first one, he comes back to defeat her in this one, which I thought was interesting as well mm -hmm. uh, i feel like with the 75 million dollar budget i think they used it pretty well yeah. you know as far as visual effects go i think this is probably the best looking ghostbusters movie we've seen um the visual effects in the first one i don't think are great with those dogs necessarily from what i remember yeah it's definitely it, dated it was nice to see those dogs actually like running around destroying walmart mm -hmm. and it looking realistic because i remember how those dogs were like cropped into the shots yeah in the original it yeah. didn't look good yeah i would say it's for me it's very much on par with that original film i think that both look good the original of course has some dating on it because mm -hmm. it was made in 84 right um so those dogs are definitely not cgi and uh they were most definitely claymated but i, I think both of them look quite good i think both of them are about the same um, at least in terms of you know how much money they had to it and and whatnot, um, but they I do say that you know as we I mentioned a second ago it looks like they kind of went out of their way to you know use practical effects when they could not use only CGI everywhere like a lot of films seem to do nowadays yeah. they went back to practical effects and I you could see it and I, oh, yeah. like I say I kind of like that a lot because most of the time it's just replace it all with CGI. Uh, they do still do that here. Don't get me wrong. They like this, like the mini Stay Puft marshmallows. They are absolutely CGI. Mm -hmm. The dogs are at times CGI, but it's not something that I found to be distracting. Yeah. Like you know, if you weren't looking for it, then you probably, at least for me, I didn't even notice it. Oh yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, I think one of the more you know eye catching, at least for me, CGI jobs was Harold Ramis returns. Yep, as a an older person you know he is age appropriate i there's not a lot of information out on here but we know this film is dedicated to him right the only i think the cgi recreation he is a ghost he isn't a real person it looked really good to me the only thing i felt was awkward was he just didn't talk 
Yeah, yeah. I they definitely danced around that mm-hmm. because how how do you handle that? I was wondering if it was CGI or if it was like somebody had dressed up as him and did like the Star Wars thing um where they had him as a ghost. I couldn't really tell if it was CGI or not from my perspective. Uh it very well could have been. If it is, it looks pretty convincing to me. But you're right. It was kind of weird that he just straight up just didn't talk. They had to dance around that a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. That is true. But I don't know. Do you have any other positives? Um, the only other positive I have left is like, I, I do like some of the characters in this film, mostly with the, the family. There's a lot of sarcastic banter between mom and her two kids. I thought oh, that yeah. was kind of funny. I like that. Um, where both sides were just kind of going at each other. Oh, it's a, they were pretty funny uh, throughout the movie like that. Cause it, it kind of gives it a little bit of realism, but the kids are fully aware that, you know, mom is kind of, you know, in a bad place since they, they joke with her about that and she just kind of hits right back. So mm-hmm. I thought that was always kind of funny whenever they had their sarcastic banter back and forth. It, again, it kind of gives it that same sarcastic joking that they had in that original film. Yeah, no, the characters are definitely fun to watch as they play off of each other. Yeah. You know, I even thought the little character podcast was kind of a funny introduction to the series because mm-hmm. podcasts are so big right now. Right. Everybody wants their own podcast and it's this little kid doing his own podcast and even gave himself that name. I think he overacted somewhat, but for a kid actor, I think he was doing pretty good. Yeah. uh, Yeah. He definitely, I think this is like his only, his second acting gig. He only had like one other thing and it was like some like short film or something. No, I believe it. Um, So this is like his first like big thing that he was in. Um, I found it to be a little bit annoying just personally, (laughs) Um, but I feel like there's always like that, that one character in these movies where they are just kind of annoying, Mm -hmm. but they're made, they're made more for comedic effect um, than anything. Um, But yeah, I think honestly, even the main character of Phoebe, uh, I thought that she was an interesting character for us to focus on because she's the one who has all the brains from grandpa that, you know, she's living his legacy. I thought she was a very interesting character because she's definitely one that is, you know, always been outcast and stuff like that. So I thought she was interesting, um, but I feel like she was definitely the best, the most explored character out of anybody else here. I don't think anybody else really got much after that. That is one of my disappointments with this movie is Phoebe is definitely the main character. Mm -hmm. She's the only character they really care to spend almost any time on. You know, the mom does present some, you know, bitter emotions, I think, in a realistic way. So I'm going along with the mom. Um, Trevor, their brother, he's a nothing character. Yeah. um, Which I'm honestly kind of shocked. He's given almost nothing to do the entire movie until the very end when he gets to shoot the the lasers and that's it. Right. That's it. And yeah. um, Paul Rudd, I think a lot of people are shocked. Paul Rudd has an interesting introduction. He's showing the kids these totally inappropriate 80s rated R movies, which <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of kids in the 80s probably watched that stuff and grew up with it. Uh-huh. Uh, I found that to be pretty hilarious. He's showing them Chucky. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, nothing to do with summer school whatsoever. But he is pretty smart because he knows about earthquakes and different things like that. That is kind of just dropped. I feel like that's kind of shoehorned in there mm-hmm. just to give us some kind of explanation as to the temple underneath, how it's trying to reactivate. He never really gets the status. He's the one that's like been investigating it. He never gets the satisfaction of solving his investigation. 
once he goes to Walmart and there's that absolutely hilarious Stay Puff Marshmallow Man sequence. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they're lighting each other on fire. It is just delightfully, you know, morbid. Yeah. It's hilarious. Um, he gets taken over by that Zool dog. That's it. Yeah. I feel like that is that scene when he gets taken over from Zool is like the only reason why he's really here. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I don't think his character is really any. They really don't do much with his character at all. I feel like this is the only reason why he's here is so that he can be one of the two that are needed to bring back Ge uh, Go Gozer. Yeah. Because, yeah, there he doesn't really do much else. Um, <laughs> it feels like he's just here because he's Paul Rudd. Um, and that's really about as far as it goes. I didn't find his character to be really anything uh, that I don't think he really should have been in this movie, to be honest with you. I, I feel like either give him more to do or, you know, give that role to somebody else that, you know, makes a lot more sense or has more to do in the story. I never found him to be anybody who really impacted the story uh, at all when it came down to it. It is shocking. I mean, he he's kind of a hot commodity right now. I know, right? Not to say he's not busy. I mean, he does have plenty to do. I know they just finished filming Ant-Man 3. Mm -hmm. So he's got plenty going on. Um, I know we talked about this in our Halloween Kills. He turned down reprising Tommy Doyle. Oh, yeah. Because right. he was shooting Ghostbusters. That's right. Um, which, of course, would be completely confusing mm -hmm. and really strange to see him in that kind of a role. Because he's such a happy-go-lucky guy, and that was such a violent role. Right. But nevertheless, just in general, characterization really isn't a focus in this movie. But that's just 80s movies in general, I think, is you're not really there for the characters. The characters are there to entertain you. But you're there to watch them go along on some really fun adventure. And that's pretty much what we get here yeah yeah i think one of the th other things that really had me scratching my head and my wife as well we talked about this afterwards characters react to things in really surprising ways mm -hmm. for instance when they actually do unleash the ghost by the school buses it's a funny scene but the next shot is still just played for laughs because they're just driving down the driveway with a um, podcast you know letting the breeze hit his face they never really bring it up. They're like, oh my gosh, ghosts are real. We unleashed yeah. a ghost. It's just yeah. taken for granted. Um, another one I thought was really strange is when Phoebe is finds her grandpa's basement. Is the lamp supposed to be her grandpa? It's like the Pixar lamp. Yeah. It's moving around and she's not shocked and neither is the mom. Right. A lamp is moving around. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know either. Yeah. It's, you're right. They do kind of, like sometimes react and sometimes they don't react. You know, it's it's kind of hit or miss when they do. It's it's weird. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I also am kind of disappointed. The whole Spangler's abandonment of his family, I think, is really ill-defined. It is yeah. such a, you know, crux of the movie that the dirt farmer, as they call him, abandoned his family, moved out here as kind of this crazy old guy, totally abandoned his family. And that's why this family's out there. That's why this family's kind of broken. That's why the mom's messed up. You know, the kids, yada, yada. And then it's just kind of this thrown away line at the end where it's like, you know, he dedicated his life to preventing Gozer from returning. And he knew that he, he couldn't like have his family be a part of that. Right. Why not? Right. Yeah. It's definitely one of those things where, you know, while it may seem that he meant it for harm, it was actually the complete opposite. You find out that he was really... He really was caring about his uh, yeah. his daughter the whole time. And he was hoping that the grandkids would come so they could be the next generation. It's one of those things. I feel like we've seen that a number of times. Oh, it's completely cliche. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. It's just, if you're going to do that, I think there's got to be more of a impactful reason. It's shockingly throwaway because they bring it up every stinking <laughs> yeah. time they can. <laughs> yeah. About how he abandoned them. Mm-hmm. One of the other things I thought was really weird was this kind of fixation with Revelation 6.12. Yeah. He painted it on his, on these signs outside, um, which, you know, it ended up like, who cares? Like, why would you paint that out there? Um, he's not really trying to convert anybody to Christianity for Pete's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Aykroyd, this, this part was the weirdest thing. Unless I'm just totally forgetting something from the first movie or maybe the second movie. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd even has it tattooed on his arm. Right. Right. <laughs> so it must have been something these guys must have received some new prophecy from God and understood it in some new context that we're not privy God. to. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I want to say it was in the original film, but I haven't watched it since we reviewed it, so maybe I'm wrong about that. But um, yeah, they, yeah, they bring it up a lot. Yeah, and they I do. I feel it's to no avail. Yeah, they do. Essentially, one other thing that I thought was kind of disappointing is uh, we see the kids twice. Actually, they kind of just like destroy things in the town. Mm -hmm. The first time uh, they're chasing the I think his name is Muncher. Um, And then the second time is, of course, the climax. And they just destroy a bunch of stuff. The first time they're put in jail. Mm -hmm. But pretty much the only, I guess, punishment they get is like a slap on the wrist. (laughs) And that's really about it. It's just kind of funny. I mean, I guess, you know, it's meant to be, you know, very much an escapist film. So like realism is not quite what they're going for. It's meant to just be, you know, have fun watching it. Exactly. (laughs) But, you know, they really don't have any kind of repercussions for the things that they do in this film. It's very much a a thrill ride and nothing else. Yeah. I mean, who's going to pay for the property damage? Right. Yeah, right. From a family that has nothing, like literally no money at all. Exactly. And second of all, they're not any kind of curious what this weapon has the power to do. I mean, I, I guess I'm, I don't know. I guess going back to this whole thing, I guess the world knows that ghosts are real from the New York incident. Maybe Mm -hmm. I, I was always under the, I know there was that giant, you know, marshmallow walking around downtown in the first one um they don't show us any footage of that but i don't know this movie plays it in weird ways about how these because phoebe was like that was 20 years before i was born right nevertheless if there was a giant marshmallow walking around new york i think everybody would hear about it for generations to come oh yeah yeah i know that they do mention that you know it might just be like speculation or yeah that kind of a thing and that ghosts are real whatever maybe just because you know it's been so long since that's happened because it wasn't long after uh that new york incident the ghostbusters kind of just disbanded um Mm -hmm. and that was about it so they think they bring it up that you know it's like you know is our ghosts really real that kind of a thing because it was so long ago well i mean the last thing i'll ask is did you find this climax exciting it clearly t- nope <laughs> <laughs> it's okay so it's clearly tying back to the opening where we see this guy busting out of the mountain and he's baiting this you know invisible shape into a trap mm-hmm. I, honestly i i had no idea this was the beginning yeah neither i think that's what it's meant to do it's meant to be like okay who is this character i thought it was actually going to be like an old paul rudd that's what i thought too i thought it was gonna be a paul rudd yeah i thought it was going to tie back to him somehow it wasn't it was spangler it didn't look like spangler to me um alan i i know you've seen the end of harry potter 4 because that's probably about all you've seen it's been a while since i've seen it but yes i do know what you're talking about 
I will say I leaned over to my wife. This is a complete ripoff of the climax of Harry Potter four. Now you've got to remind me what happens at the end of that because I can't pull from my memory. All right. So here's what happens. Harry and Voldemort are dueling with their wands. There is this incredible light show, just like we get in this. Mm -hmm. Who comes to the aid of Harry to help him defeat Voldemort and escape? None other than the ghost of his parents. Just like the ghost of Eon Spangler comes Uh, right up next to her and they all kind of do it. It, It's 100% taken from Harry Potter 4, which I was a little shocked how plagiaristic it is. Yeah, I know you're correct. Now you're mentioning it now, I'm starting to remember. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I feel like this is also one that I've I've seen kind of before, Uh, of course, from Star Wars. I I guess Mm -hmm. maybe, not Star Wars, I get from uh, Harry Potter. I guess also from Star Wars a little bit, Um, from Last Jedi, maybe. Oh, sure. Um, But either way, yeah, uh, Eon Spangler comes, or Egon Spangler comes and helps him out. Mm-hmm. And that that's how they end up defeating it. Fine, whatever. I mean, I, I think at this point, the the climax for me was largely unimpressive. I wasn't really into it that much. I really didn't honestly really care that much about it um, for the climax. So it didn't bother me one way or the other seeing how it ended. Yeah, I feel like there needed to be a little bit more stakes. I feel like mm-hmm. there was almost no stakes here at the end. Whereas the other one, it was going to take over New York City. It was unleashing all these ghosts. We see all these ghosts flying around. We just don't see them causing any trouble. Yeah. We just see Gozer track them down to the farm. And Gozer has some... Well, it's because of Zool. They disembody the mom from the dog it's just kind of messy and once again i just i don't ever feel much tension yeah i suppose with this but maybe maybe that's what they're going for yeah i think that they're not really meaning for it to be anything super suspenseful it's just like for fun right yeah it's for fun i mean honestly i guess i like this ending a lot better than force awakens for instance which was largely a repeat of destroying the death star Mm -hmm. this is largely a repeat of the finale of the first film you know it's been a long time since you know people have seen that one i thought it was perfectly fine um still waiting for those jk simmons deleted scenes (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) well alan i'm very curious what is your rating and recommendation for ghostbusters afterlife ghostbusters afterlife to me is a very fine ghostbusters film i I think again comparing it to last time it's miles better um but i never really found you know anything that i was like oh i love this about it there was i don't think there was anything that really honestly impressed me a whole lot i think that they make some smart moves i think that it's definitely for a bunch of films since a bunch of films are doing this nowadays where they're trying to revamp the old uh franchises again um, this is one of the better examples of it. I think overall, I think it's a fine film. I think I had my time with it. I definitely, you know, had a lot more fun than last time. Um, I think that it's, I think it's fine. I would, it's not a film, it's a film that I would say I would be okay watching it again in the future, but not one that I think I would really, you know, seek out to watch. Um, so I think it's fine. I, I, I don't have much of a problem with it. It's very harmless to me. So I'm going to say six out of 10, but I'm going to give it a recommend. Ghostbusters Afterlife is the most 80s film I've seen made since the 80s, and I love it for that. Jason Reitman is following in his father's footsteps. He knows how to hit the right plot and character beats. It's funny, exciting, and downright fun. In fact, this is the best Ghostbusters sequel we've had so far. 
joining the bandwagon of legacy and sci-fi films, this does a much better job than the Star Wars sequel trilogy ever did. I had a lot of fun watching this in the theater with my in-laws and a lively audience. I really hope we get a fun sequel with these same characters returning, hopefully with a bit more characterization next time. Mm -hmm. Ghostbusters Afterlife receives 7 stars out of 10 with a solid recommend. Yeah, I think that's kind of what it is. At the end of the day, it's just, it's fun. Yeah, that's like the best way to say it about it. It's fun. So it looks like, um, it looks like our average score for the quadrilogy now is exactly the same. Six out of 10 for each of us. Okay. Just very, very mild, very passive, not offensive for this series. Um, look, it's interesting to go back through our ratings. It looks like the only one we really loved and really recommended well was the first one. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, that's one that everyone knows. That's what kicked everything off. So I would say that, you know, that one is definitely a uh, the best one out of any of them. You probably can't say, Alan, because it has been, you know, four years since you've watched Ghostbusters 2. But you did give this the same rating as Ghostbusters 2. That's true. I gave Ghostbusters 2 a four out of ten. I really didn't like it. Mm -hmm. Could you possibly say which one you would go back to over the other I'll have to say that I'll have to go and watch Ghostbusters 2 again. Um, would you do that, though? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would go back and watch okay. Ghostbusters 2 again just to see, you know, what I think about it in the grand scheme of things. Um, I would love to. I mean, I have 1 and 2 on, on Blu-ray. Um, oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, I think I got it for Christmas. So, uh, yeah, uh, I'll probably go back and watch it at some point. I was going to go. I was going to see if I could get time to watch it, the original one, at least before the this movie, but I ran out of time to mm -hmm. do it. So. Um, yeah, I would say that, yeah, I go back and watch Ghostbusters 2 again. Um, I thought it, I mean, from my memory, I thought it was just okay. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, it looks like from my ranking so far, it would be Ghostbusters 1, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Ghostbusters 2016, and then at the bottom, Ghostbusters 2. Gotcha. I just, I don't know if I want to return to that one. That one was strange. Yeah. I, for me, it's very similar I, i'm gonna say it's ghostbusters then afterlife then ghostbusters 2 and then ghostbusters 2016 mm -hmm. i think 2016 ghostbusters is pretty much the same as your ghostbusters 2 that's not one i really care to go back to i that one's definitely at the bottom yeah you know i still gave 2016 a 5 out of 10 i i plan on never returning to it probably mm -hmm. but you know the series has you know been living for a long time it's i true. mean for Pete's sakes, it's been 37 and a half years since the first wow. film came out. Almost yeah. four decades. That's true. Man, I wonder if they're going to, I wonder <laughs> what they're going to do for the 40th anniversary, if they're going to do anything. It's coming up pretty quick. And you will probably get Ghostbusters 5. Probably right. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. You're probably right. Well, Alan, would you, you picked up the first two. Would you pick this one up, kind of cap off the trilogy per se? Maybe. Um, maybe it would be one that I would not pay very much for, uh, if I was to pick it up, it's maybe if I got it as like a, like a Christmas present, I'd be like, okay, I wouldn't be mad about it. I'd be like, all right, cool, cool. I got this one. Um, it's kind of here nor there for me. Uh, I'm kind of apathetic toward it. It's one of those where I wouldn't mind getting it, but I don't know if I would actually personally go and seek it out. If I see it available between, let's just say four and eight bucks. I would have to be sub $10. But yeah, I would pick this one up and add it to my collection. Mm -hmm. Alan, do you have any other film or TV recommendations listeners check out? Yeah, I've got one. Uh, it from, well, I forget what year it came out, but 
the more recent one. Okay. It, not it chapter two. I haven't seen it chapter two yet, but I got a lot of it vibes from from this movie. I feel like there's a lot of movies now that are coming out <laughs> that are also kind of branching off of that. This one's I feel has some similarities between the two of them. I think the boy in this one is the same boy in it. If I, I remember see. right, Finn Wolfhard. I I think so. From what I remember, I know he's in Stranger Things. Okay. Because he's pretty famous for Stranger Things. Gotcha. So my recommendations are, of course, the original Ghostbusters. This one really felt like the original to me. I'm also going to be recommending Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Kind of a very similar vibe, I thought, with the aliens, that big, you know, Devil's Canyon mountain or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also going to be recommending Escape from Witch Mountain, which is a Disney movie. There's a couple different versions of that one. So check those out. So for future developments, I I really think we're getting a sequel. Yeah, they are. It seemed like they're really setting up for one. Um, we'll see if one actually comes out, but it looks like they were paving the way for one to come out. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't been greenlit so far. I think they're waiting on box office returns, especially... After Ghostbusters 2016 really soured fans mm-hmm. on the franchise. That's why that's why we've had to wait half a decade. Right. I think to get this one. And of course, they're going to ignore that one. This is becoming a really popular thing so far is when sequels are bad, ignore them and make a direct sequel to the ones audiences like. Exactly. Yeah. You know, Reitman has spoken. He has ideas for where the franchise will go. This the final credit scene. I would say the way the movie ends is pretty much kind of a open shut thing. Like if that's it, then yeah, the, the tr- you could conclude the trilogy, I suppose. But the end is definitely setting up yeah, for something. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's really, really obvious they're setting up. So, you know, I think if this one gets popular enough, clearly sitting at a 7.8 on IMDb, mm-hmm. 95% audience scores. I, I really think we're going to be back here. I'm, you know, depending on how quickly they can turn this around probably in two years two three years maybe yeah maybe in time for the 40th anniversary they'll have something out um yeah. of course if they greenlight it if they don't greenlight it then we won't see it <laughs> yeah then who knows but yeah. i don't think this is the last in ghostbusters so listeners the question after the show is is ghostbusters afterlife the best sequel in the series you know my thoughts i think it is the best one since the 1984 original So I'm curious to know what you think, listeners. Go ahead and email us your answers at silverscreenguide95 at gmail.com. Tweet at us, post on the Facebook page. Um, All of these um, go there as well. So if you're not following us over there, go ahead. Give us a follow. Alan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. It was fun to reteam for an old episode of old franchise. So, listeners, like I said, I will be back next week with Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles. I'm doing that one solo. I didn't make Alan sit through, like, all 30 hours. <laughs> 30 hours of the series. But that is kind of the missing piece in the Terminator franchise. I've been... Took a hiatus from the series. You'll learn why. That is not based off of my recommendation or not. So, uh, not trying to spoil anything there. But I think you'll find my review for that very interesting. In the meantime, it is streaming on Hulu if you want to check out a couple episodes of the Terminator um, TV show. It's also available on Blu-ray. I picked up the complete series on Blu-ray. Well, listeners, I will see you next week with Terminator The Sarah Connor Chronicles.
Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.